Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brannon, and today I have with me Steve Sullivan, who's been here before. Welcome, Steve. Good to be here. And we have a special guest, Thomas Lohinek from the Minnesota. Well, he's he's got a lot going on, but uh, we're going to talk about Minnesota Christian Community Foundation as well as Rise Financial Day. But Thomas, welcome. Thanks for uh, being here today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. So uh, just give us a little bit of, of your background, let people know who you are, and um, why are we having you on the podcast today? Maybe well, that's I, a question we should answer, but I'll let you answer it. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, hey, I'm born and raised in Sarasota, Florida. I'm the youngest of four. I have three older sisters. And uh, Oh, wow. We, I don't think I knew that about you. No, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I learned a lot when I was young. And, uh, and then I forgot it. So here we are. <laughs> um, so yeah, loved, absolutely loved growing up here in Sarasota. Both my parents were raised in Michigan. So very thankful to uh, have been raised on the beach, Siesta Key, as opposed to shoveling snow every winter. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do when you're not sitting here on a podcast answering questions from us? It's a great question. And first I'll have to check with my wife. <laughs> Smart. I'm probably forgetting something that I'm supposed to be doing. Uh, but no, my, my passion is helping people. And I think it kind of bore out of, I grew up in Bent Tree. And on our block, it was all retired people. And then our family, young and rowdy and rambunctious, <laughs> playing capture the flag and manhunt. And, and so I just kind of grew up helping my neighbors a lot. And it was really, really incredible just seeing how much joy um, I could see on their faces from doing such a simple task as raking up a couple of leaves. Mm. Um, and I think that really, really helped with just my passion has grown just to help people. Um, and, and growing up, a lot of people invested into me in, in the Sarasota area. And I kind of took it for granted, mm. right? When it's just given to you sometimes, you don't know what you have until you don't have it or you really understand someone else's perspective and how they were brought up. But finance always appealed to me and I always wanted to be a hotshot uh, executive for some business corporation or something. And I uh, went to University of Central Florida and majored in finance there. And, you know, when I was there, I'll, I'll, I'll share one of the things that, you know, I had a, a phenomenal opportunity to intern at Lockheed Martin. Mm -hmm. And I found myself as an intern being responsible for about $20 million worth of capital projects across five different missile fire control factories as a 21-year-old. Is this how Lockheed Martin typically does things? No, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. And they have not endorsed this message. So, um, <laughs> but no, and so my ego though, it really got inflated. Um, and it, to the point where I felt I didn't need, you know, I didn't feel like it was necessary to study for my finance classes. Um, because you're managing $20 million as an intern, right? So. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I ended up failing corporate finance as a finance major. And I share that because it was so humbling. And, <laughs> and a very close friend of mine and mentor, Brian Green, has always told me there's two types of people in this world. Those who are humble and those who are about to be humbled. <laughs> And when I was on my knees crying, you know, I, I lifted it up and, and really gave it to God and, and uh, just wanted to see, you know, how can I honor you? I wasn't honoring you now, but how can I honor you now? So, you know, it really, really God redeemed it. And my next teacher was the one who really encouraged me 
to take the job I got offered when I graduated, which wasn't for Lockheed Martin, uh, but it was for a company called Franklin Square Capital Partners. And worked for them for about seven years, and I learned a lot there. Um, a variety from how the best financial advisors are running portfolios out there um, and what the worst advisors are doing out mm. there. So my daily routine was cold calling 50 financial advisors. Okay. Building a relationship with them, understanding how they run their business, seeing if there's any gaps in how they're, they're managing their client portfolios, and see if anything that we had to offer could allow those portfolios to be built better. So my passion for what I was doing there as the years went on started to fade. Hmm. And I could kind of feel that God-shaped hole in my heart. I had a great position in the firm, um, you know, incredible upside opportunity. And it just still, there, there was something missing. And so I started to get more involved with my church that I was going to in Philadelphia. And ended up having the opportunity to create and lead their security team. Um, I know nothing about church security. <laughs> I asked my pastor, you know, when the terrorist attacks were happening over in Paris, um, hey, what's our plan? He goes, we don't have one. You want to run with it? <laughs> it's like, okay, I'll, I'll try. Yeah. <laughs> um, and two years later, uh, I realized I was now the least qualified person on the team. And the team had grown to be 14 team members, all active or retired military police. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, okay, it's time for me to step aside. Um, and so just a really neat, neat way that God really showed me that he's able to take this small amount of input and just grow it into something so much bigger than we could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And when I first accepted that, that opportunity, I had no idea what was gonna happen. And I felt overwhelmed and underqualified. Um, so it was a really big learning opportunity. But at the end of the day, my passion for what I was doing in my day job was still not gratifying enough. Most people in my position end up transitioning to become a financial advisor because they've kind of learned from what the best ones are doing and what the worst ones are doing to avoid doing that. And so after much prayer and deliberation and seeking out, you know, mentors um, felt appropriate to start Rise Financial Partners. And our mission there is to help Christian business owners invest with a biblical lens and to maximize their charitable giving. And so when you think about how most advisors operate, as their book of business grows, they tend to lean towards working with more and more wealthy individuals. You know, finance is a different language for so many people. And I really felt strongly at the very beginning, we need to put some safeguards in place to make sure that we don't only cater to wealthier people and forget about people who truly lack financial understanding and education. And so was inspired by Tom's shoes, you buy a pair, they'll donate a pair. Mm -hmm. And so we implemented a policy where for each account we're managing over 500,000, um, we will sponsor a low income individual to receive complimentary financial planning services or investment management services. And when I knew we were gonna move back to Sarasota, 
I knew after much reflecting that so many people had invested into me, I want to make sure that I can now pay it forward. So how can I get plugged back into the Sarasota community? I hadn't lived there full time in 12 years at this point. And how can I help? You know, God, what are you calling me to serve in, in this season? And so I asked close family friends, hey, I want to get plugged back into the community. Who do I need to talk to? He said, Tom, you need to call Brian Yost. <laughs> I was like, I don't know who Brian Yost is, but I'd love to chat with him. You're one of the few people who doesn't know who Brian Yost is. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> Brian's great. So called Brian. Again, I'm still living in Philadelphia at the time. We have a great conversation. He said, hey, you really need to talk to Dan Baker. Hmm. Had a phenomenal conversation with Dan. And says, hey, you really need to meet with Brian Green. So I meet with Brian Green. And then... Uh, they said, hey, you really need to meet with Tom Bardwell. <laughs> so it's just this <laughs> awesome guy. Okay, these are all great conversations. I'm getting insights as to what they're seeing in the community. And, and that's really where the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation comes into play. So as a newer advisor, just starting the firm, um, I, do, I did have more free time on my hands as your average advisor. Um, my heart is for giving. And, and that's one of the tenets of, of the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation is if we could sum it up in two words, it's about relationships and giving hmm. in that order. And they really were looking to get it off the ground, get the infrastructure in place. And they asked me to be a part of that. And that's what's ultimately led to this conversation here. Awesome. So you start the Manatee Christian Community Foundation uh, with this group. It sounds like there's a group of you who um, maybe have been thinking about the need or talking about the need prior, and it all kind of comes together and they say, Thomas, you're the guy we've been waiting for all these years, and finally you're here, and we want you to... St-. Is that how it went? Like, th- how, did it, how did it go when the uh, you, you referenced this... Um, this previous example with the church security team where God was able to kind of kick things off with you and your willingness to contribute at that critical time. Is it similar with the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation where you were the right guy at the right time to that helped this group put plans into action? Uh, yes, that's, that's, I think, a good summary of it. And they had already done some of the legwork such as getting, you know, the heavy lifting, getting the 501c registered, okay. right? They had the board in place. Um, they, they had the relationships and the resources, um, but not necessarily the bandwidth to go ahead and, and go out as an ambassador into the community, representing the foundation and all it stands for and, and all it hopes to achieve, uh, Lord willing. Hmm. So what is that? If, if somebody were to, you meet somebody for the first time, and they say, Thomas, I've, I've heard of uh, that you're um, involved in this Minnesota Christian Community Foundation. What is that? What do you guys do? What is the point of it? So when you think about the community, the needs change over time, right? And so what this foundation stands for is to be a resource for other Christian nonprofits, other Christian leaders in the community, whether that's in the for-profit or non-for-profit uh, community, and then also for individuals. 
And so we have a phenomenal board. I, I would argue the most amazing board of, of all the land, um, but they are extremely knowledgeable financially, as well as nonprofit wise, how to run nonprofits, mm. um, as well as they've had so much phenomenal experience that we really can come in and serve a nonprofit. And it, it might just be that this individual or nonprofit, they need some encouragement or a group who needs more education or to equip people. That's the three E's that we, we like to live by. It's encouraging, educating, and equipping people so that they can ultimately do more, right? Because sometimes all that's needed you just need to be introduced to the right person. I mean, Steve, you're such a perfect example of that where your heart is, hey, I don't, I'm not looking to get anything out of this conversation or this meeting. I have no hidden agenda. I just wanna know what's your biggest need <laughs> and, and I'm, I might have a way to help you. That's what brings you joy. Yep, it is, I love that. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why you and I have connected, you know, at, at, at a heart level. Because again, it's that joy. It's we've been blessed with so many different relationships, um, especially down here in this area. It's unique. It's it's a beautiful area that's just it's very natural, and you find relationships here that just get cultivated with such ease. And people have a genuineness to them down here in Florida. And yeah, it's it's easy and it's fun to be able to connect because it's connecting the right people with the right cause, the right, in the right timing and amazing things happen. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. So how does the, um, the connection piece uh, makes a lot of sense and being able to be a resource to connect people to, to others who can meet whatever need it is, but what, how, where does the education piece come in? How does that work inside the community foundation? Sure. So uh, I'd say in two different ways. One is, have you heard of global leadership summit? Yep. Mm -hmm. So we help sponsor the Bradenton location. And so we'll continue to do that uh, as time goes on to bring in leaders of the community to be equipped. And so the other side that I would argue is on charitable giving. So we believe firmly that when God places the desire to give on your heart, how you give is almost equally as important, right? Because the way I've been coached on this is God cares about what you do, how you do it, and why you're doing it. And so if there's a way that you can give and it ends up having more brought forth to that charitable organization or the church, that's, that's a route that should be considered. And to give you a quick example of that, let's say I have... $100,000 worth of Tesla stock and I bought it for 50,000. And I'm going to go ahead and sell that 100,000. Now I'm hit with $50,000 in capital gains taxes. And I want to pay the tax and then tithe 10% of it. So if I were just to change the order of operations by one step and I'm going to gift 10% of that stock to a nonprofit well, now that 10% of stock is owned by a tax-exempt organization, which will allow us to completely mitigate completely or have a substantially decreased capital gains tax when it's actually sold. 
and given to the nonprofit. And so that's an area that we really can come in and help um, educate maybe donors or educate individuals who are looking to maximize their charitable giving or someone's going to be selling a business soon. We can bring in the right partners who are the experts, the attorneys who can help you craft that giving strategy. Again, for ultimately more giving to occur in our community. Now, the idea of a community foundation per se is not new. And this is a, this area kind of has a long, rich history, I guess, of community foundations. There's a community foundation, Manti Community Foundation. Um, They're also different, uh, I guess, non-geographically affiliated community foundations that call this area home. Um, It's, it seems to, to have the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation is um, is a distinctly different flavor than the Manatee Community Foundation or the Sarasota Community Foundation, um, and it seems kind of overdue. You know, is that was that also the, the kind of the thinking of the group that that got behind this? How long has this been in the works? And I guess maybe why did it take so long? If that's a fair question, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's it's a big undertaking to do that. And, you know, there, there has been a little bit of, well, why are you doing that? It doesn't quite make sense to some people. Um, and our board was extremely intentional before they started it. So what they did is they went and spoke with some of the largest foundations that are in the, the Gulf Coast area and asked them what some of the needs are. Some of the feedback was that we sometimes don't understand those crazy Christians who want to <laughs> give a ton of money away. <laughs> and for some of the specific causes, they don't understand why there needs to be a faith element while you're educating children or while you're doing X or while you're helping people recover from addiction. And that's one thing that I think the book that we're going through right now, Ecclesia, it talks about the four different types of poverty. Mm-hmm. And it really helped for me personally to understand this because there's billions of dollars that are being thrown at X problem over here or the homeless issue or this and that. And the four different poverty uh, types is material, which is self-explanatory. There's motivational. There's spiritual poverty and relational poverty. And so for you to help an individual or a group of people, or where there's been for multi-generations significant issues, and they're not able to break that cycle, if you approach those issues with the four different types of poverties, and being intentional for identifying which areas are not being served adequately, that can completely change the result. So is it the, uh, we we could get into the Ecclesia, maybe we'll do a book study on this book, but are you saying that you have to address all four areas to be successful or certain situations require you to address a specific type of poverty? Yeah, I think it, when it comes to helping with any issue, if you're able to take a step back and see if there are any of those four that are not being addressed, gotcha. that will help more fruit. Addressing one where there are multiple types present 
is probably not going to get you the desired result. Well, I like the, um, you know, it's interesting. You said when they went out and they talked to other community foundations in the area and said, you know, what, what's missing? Uh, we don't understand some of these crazy Christians when they want to give away money. Uh, you know, we don't understand like why they believe that there's a faith element that's important in it. Um, I can, I can see that. I also love the idea that, um, you know, if you come from a, a reformed faith background, right. And that, and the idea is that, and the, the idea for all Christians, we should look at the world through a biblical framework, right? So everything that we should do, whether it's the our work, our giving, our worship, our parenting, our relationships, our marriages, should all be driven uh, by biblical principles, right? So um, I love that you've taken that and put legs to it and said, when people give money away, it needs to be done uh, biblically, there's a there's a good way to do this, right? There's a great way. There are principles laid out, and we can be smart about it. Uh, you, can you go back and say there were three three things: the what, the how, the why. Is that was that how you described it? So you have to be good at what you're doing. You have to be good at how you're doing it, and you have to. Be, and I think the why is the one that often gets ticked, you know, in the in the philanthropic or or the charitable giving. Um, but we should, as Christians, we should be some of the best at how we do it and, and what vehicles we use to, to make it happen, right? You got to be excellent. It's not good. You can't be a great Christian accountant if you're just not a good accountant first, right? You got to be an excellent accountant. <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. and that's, a, that's how people are going to take their cues, you know, on how they feel about Christian accounts is whether or not you can get your debits or credits right. So mm-hmm. um, what have you found when you talk to business owners, like what are some of the, the, that are charitably minded and they're saying, Hey, uh, I've been blessed. I want to make an impact with, with some of my dollars. What are some of the bigger, um, I don't want to say mistakes, but oversights or aha moments, things that they didn't know that they didn't know. And, and having worked with the community, the Christian community foundation, they're like, man, this was huge. Yeah. And I think, um, part of that, goes back to there's different levels of generosity, in my opinion. Um, Thinking about as a business owner, right, we can be charitably minded towards the employees and their families. We can be charitably minded to our clients and we can be charitably minded to the community. And so I would encourage people to have a charitable plan that might include impacting each of those areas Right, and it might just be in the community that it's volunteering um, for their clients. It might just being focusing on, wow, this person might have some lack from a spiritual or a relational poverty perspective. I really need to be intentional to spend more time with them because there's an opportunity there. Um, and on with the employees, you know, there's there's with all of these different angles, um, these different verticals, you can be charitable in a more tax efficient way by using the right tools. And so there's what's called a donor advised fund, which uh, is often referred to as a charitable giving, checking and IRA account. And a corporation can actually establish a donor advised fund. It's not just for individuals. And so you can create that it's called a corporate assistance program. And the beauty of this is it can be used as a tool to attract 
the right employees, mm-hmm. or it can be a tool to retain them. I think a perfect example. So if you set up a, a corporate assistance program as the business owner, you can dictate from the beginning what kind of expenses that this account can cover for your employees and their families. It could range from medical expenses to car repairs to even tuition assistance. So if I'm a Chick-fil-A operator, the majority of their staff are probably high schoolers. And that results in a lot of turnover. So maybe as a way to attract and also retain them, you could put in a plan in place where, hey, if you if you are working for this Chick-fil-A for at least a year, we'll give you up to $2,000 towards your tuition. Ooh. And so it's a really unique way that as a business owner, you can integrate giving to your employees um, and make sure that there's a qualified reason for what they're getting this assistance for. You can go as far as if it is for maybe repairs of a car or what have you, medical expenses. You can have the employee go through a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University in order to receive Hmm. some of that funding. So it can really change the script for how you're investing into your employees and their families and ultimately their overall well-being for the rest of their lives. So are these payments um, like tax deductible to the employer the same way like a charitable contribution would be up to certain amounts? They are, yes. And kind of similar if, if you're aware of PACs, charitable or mm-hmm. you know, contributions for political action, um, with, with these types of donor-advised funds, you can have the employees contribute too. And so it's been really neat to see when not only is the owner charitably minded for the family organization, but actually the employees also are caring for each other by contributing a small portion of their paycheck to this. That's cool. Mm -hmm. It's very cool. So uh, are there any other areas, kind of like aha moments that you find uh, business owners finding out about through the Community Foundation? You know... I would, I would probably just point you back to the original sum up of, of two different words of the foundation, that being relationships and giving. And, you know, something that's also encouraged as a fellow C12 member of investing time into your employees um, and not just the key leaders that are around you, but really getting to know and investing into the employees. Um, you know, just encouraging people to be aware of what the people who you're around are going through. Um, that's probably the, the area that I see the most. And, and for me is also really challenging, you know, as a busy business owner, right? It's so easy to get caught up in the busyness and I don't have time to do X, Y, and Z. And it just really requires you to be intentional with your time. One of the things that, um, I've learned from C12 over the years, there's this tool called the caring matrix. I don't know if you've familiar with it, but, um, and I can't remember, it came out of, uh, I think it was a C12 member that wrote a book. Um, I think he's in Orlando. I can't remember. Maybe if I find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But anyway, the caring matrix, this is really cool. The first one I saw, it's gotten a lot more complicated, but I thought the, the first one was really cool. It was a three by three matrix, right? And so if you start at the bottom, you can think like bottom is foundation, most important, right? And that row is, it starts with your employees. 
And then the next row is the families of your employees. And then the top row is the community. And the idea being you have to care for your team members, your employees first. And then you're, once you've cared for them, you're at liberty to care for their families. And once you've cared for their families, you're at liberty to care for the community. And so those are the rows. And the columns are their physical needs, their emotional needs, and their spiritual needs. And the idea being... I have to, the first thing I have to do is care for my employees' physical needs, right? And then care for their emotional needs and then care for their spiritual needs. And when I've done those three things, I'm kind of zig back over and move up to the left side of the second row and care for the family's physical needs, care for the family's emotional needs, care for the family's spiritual needs, and then move up to care for the community's physical needs, the community's emotional needs, the community's spiritual needs. And that for me was a really good, that was an aha moment of uh, one, the importance of getting uh, physical, emotional, spiritual kind of in the right order. Like if, uh, People, if they're hungry, they have a hard time, you know, hearing the gospel, right? So feed them first, and, and then you might have an opportunity to, to speak into their life in some way. But also the idea of not reaching over to reach out, reaching over my employees to, you know, give a pile of money to some organization in the community and do some good. And I got employees going, well, it would have been nice to have a pay raise. Hadn't had one of those in a few years, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I think that when we're talking about, We'll go back to, you know, as, as Christians, when we do things, we should be doing them at an exemplary level. Not to say that I fall short many, many, many occasions, but I like to think that trying to get that kind of stuff right is something the rest of the world ought to look at and go, man, they're taking really good care of their employees over there. Oh, I found out that guy's, you know, it's a Christian business. You know, she's she's in C12. She's, you know, practicing what she preaches, so to speak. And I would love to see more consistency in that realm. But education is a huge part of it because you don't know what you don't know. Until I had seen it laid out like that, I just it had never occurred to me. Yeah, that's an incredible framework. Highly recommend. So how does this stuff uh, fold into the cultural element of business? The thing that that is really intriguing to me about the way that you've positioned the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation is that it's a, about helping businesses, Christian business owners, um, give better, right? And so we love businesses. Like, that's the world that we play in, and we're really passionate about the difference a business can make. But when you're talking about businesses, you're talking about culture, too. And how do you see the work that you're doing to help these businesses give better impact the culture in these, in these businesses? Or is it, is it kind of not that much of an interplay between the two? Yeah, I think um, when you look at the education side, right, if you're, if you're willing to invest in your employees' leadership skills by going to Global Leadership Summit, mm-hmm. right, there's a tremendous amount of fruit that comes from that. And Global Leadership Summit is not something we invented, right? This is something that's been done for 25 more or more years. Um, and thousands of people attend it every single year. And the, some of the statistics that have come out of that is incredible. You know, over 80% of people who go through it have a better understanding of their impact in the role that they're in. And so just having that output with, you know, it's not blatantly Christian education, it's good practical education with biblical principles 
at the foundation of it. Mm -hmm. And so that's just one example, I think, of where you see um, the culture can be so much positively impacted. If you're actually willing to pay for your employees to attend something where they get education on how to further their career and be more impactful in their role, that can be incredible. That alone. Um, on the other side of that, you know, when when you see a leader, right, of someone who's given responsibility, much is required. And if you're trying to tell your employees to be generous and care about the community as well, you need to lead with that generosity as well. And sometimes that might mean that maybe you're being called to give money to a nonprofit, but you're not the one who's deciding which nonprofit. Maybe you invite your leadership team, right, to come in and help decide where that money goes. So in terms of back to the original question, um, you know, I think the businesses can just have a, their culture expand so much greater. There's, there's so many different levels that a, a non-believer Christian, or sorry, let me see. The, the contrast between a Christian business leader who's really exuding their principles, biblical principles and values into their business it's very clear what kind of culture that can create. And when you see the fruits of that, you see a much better engagement with what the employees are able to do. They feel empowered in their positions, right? When they feel like they're a part of something bigger, right? And that's why it, C12 hammers this point home, right? You need to have your mission, your values, and your vision. And when you have that, and it's not just over here in a dusty book, but actually presented and educated and reminded to the employees and how it fits into the bigger picture of how you're serving the clients or in your specific role over here, um, it, it all naturally expands and you see more fruit. Mm -hmm. When we talk about uh, vision, you know, it's like one of those values are first, right? So we they have to, if a business that we're working with doesn't have values, um, there's a, a new client starting this week and the first workshop that got put on the calendar after kind of learning a little bit about the business, like you guys need a values workshop, right? So they're doing a values and vision workshop this week. I think Devin's leading that. And it's because, like you said, it's foundational, right? If you don't have that, then your, your team doesn't have much to engage around other than just the, the tasks that are delegated to them or within their sphere of roles and responsibilities, but it doesn't really fit into anything bigger that we're all trying to accomplish together. Uh, but we make a distinction too between purpose. So can you tell me the vision, right? The vision is where we're all going together. That's the destination we want to get to. And there's different ways to do that. We've, I think we have six or seven vision templates. Uh, it's been a while since I lit a vision workshop. So that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, uh, but I think that, I, I think there's seven, but you know, like for instance, you could have a quantitative vision. A quantitative vision is something that's around an, a number, you know, a certain number of locations or certain revenue size or so. And you can have a qualitative 
type of vision. And that could be, you know, we want to be the best in our industry. You could have a transformative vision. You could have a, an evangelistic vision, which is one of my favorites. An evangelistic vision is not about proselytizing religiously. It's about I've got a message and I want to get it out there. And I'm, I'm championing this message. And uh, Dave Kennan, a good friend of mine, a C12 uh, member in my group, Kennan Financial, he's, you know, his, his, uh, he's, he's evangelistic about you got to spend your retirement money. And he's, he, uh, his client base is um, a lot of blue collar and, and somewhat gray collar retired professionals, uh, teachers, firemen, police officers. And they're raised by a generation that was like, you got to save for a rainy day. You got to save, you got to save, you got to save. And then they retire and they never take their kids to Disneyland. They never take any trips. They don't. And they're, they're in this mentality of like, I can't enjoy my retirement because what if something bad happens? And so he's, he's out there to release them from that and lower their anxiety and make sure that, you know, it's for you to enjoy. You've saved, enjoy it. Um, but the, then the question is, that's your vision, Dave. Why? Why is that your vision, right? And, and I think it's important that business owners get better and better at answering why, their employees' why specifically. Like, this is where we're going together. Why is that important? Because if your vision is like, uh, I want a bigger boat, right? We're going to, until I get that 48-foot yellow fin, right? And, and, and they're like, Why? Because I want all the toys, right? I want to retire wealthy. I want to be able to enjoy life. And the employees are like, eh, I don't know. I don't know, if, I don't know <laughs> if I want to pick up that extra shift. You know, it doesn't sound that compelling to me. But if your why is worthy, right? And that's what we're talking about. Can you articulate something that's worthy of their best effort? And when you see a business owner who is engaging a community foundation, say, I have this desire to give, right? I want to do it as 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 well as possible. And now you're talking about, and I want to engage my employees in that. Why are we doing all this? We're doing all this because we can change this community. Mm -hmm. That's what this is about. This business is about changing this community. And yeah, we're going to do that through some giving, but we're also going to do that when we're on the phone with a customer. We're going to do that when we're showing up at somebody's house. We're going to do that when a new account signs up. We're going to do that when a vendor's having a hard time and we have a chance to, to slow down and ask, what can we do to make our vendor's life a little bit easier? And, and that, that's all part of being consistent in not just checking a box saying, oh, we gave away more money this year than we did last year. So on the education front, do you find that most business owners, um, do they have programs in place to teach their employees about giving philanthropy? Is that something that you guys come alongside them and help out with? Uh, we haven't done that really in the past. Um, it's not something that I think would be out of the realm of possibilities. One of the things that um, Cameron is encouraging uh, our team to do, so I haven't talked to you about this yet, Steve, but we're talking about doing a journey of generosity. Are you familiar mm -hmm. with those? Yes. Yeah. Talk a little bit about those and, and tell us where does that fit? Or where could that fit in a business owner's kind of educational mindset? Sure. Yeah. Um, with, with journeys of generosity, you know, I, I, going into my first jog, I thought generosity was scripted based on your level of faith. And so, okay, we need to tithe on our gross income. 
Um, and then as your faith grows, maybe that increases some. And then as your faith grows even more, well, then you'll be volunteering more. And as your faith grows even more, then you're, okay, maybe you should consider full-time ministry work, right? <laughs> or going and living in Africa now. Um, the stronger your faith, and that kind of co- coincided with that. Now, coming out of a jog, it really taught me that similar how your relationship with God might look completely different than Steve's relationship with God, and same with mine. So is how God calls us to be generous with our time, treasure, and talents. And with a jog, I highly encourage it uh, for anyone to go through it. You know, why the Journeys of Generosity was created was because a group of wealthy individuals got together and they said, hey, why aren't there more biblical conversations that are fruitful about generosity? And their conclusion was that, because whenever there's generosity educated, there's a nonprofit or a church at the end holding their hand out asking. Here's for your their opportunity money. to be generous. Yeah. <laughs> We're gonna make it very easy for you. So this group of families funded this nonprofit and agreed to continue to fund it to where they can facilitate these generosity conversations where absolutely no solicitation is allowed. And it's all taken care of. And these are are they like two day events or is it, what's the format? Yeah, historically it's been two day events. Okay. Um, they have broken it down to have the ability to do a, a one full day event versus half day, half day. And then they just came out with earlier this year, Generosity Conversations, which is about an hour and a half to two hour long type of event. And, and that's something that I've gone through the facilitator training. Um, if anyone has any interest on what that looks like, Uh, or would like to go through one of those conversations or full-on jog, um, we'd be more than happy. I think it can be life-changing. When you talk about um, the community, right? It's the Minnesota Christian Community Foundation. What do you see uh, as the needs in this community that maybe the, the business community hasn't paid as much attention to as they should? I would 100% say the future generations. Mm. And, you know, there's there's some things that are instituted that sound great. The no child left behind policy in the school system. Um, unfortunately, from what I've heard from people very educated with the school system, is that that has actually been the worst thing for kids who are struggling how to read. So what happens there is, okay, by the end of third grade, if you're not up to X reading standard, then they hold you back, right? Until you can learn that. With the no child left behind policy, they'll just push you forward. Even though they might not have the building blocks needed to learn what they're gonna learn in fourth grade. And so some of the nonprofits locally that I've seen that are having the biggest impact are focused on educating the next generation. You know, as as the school system is challenged um, through COVID, through different, you know, social environments, now it's extremely political. Um, it's challenging for a teacher and they're afraid to speak out. They're afraid to, they just want to sometimes just get the job done. 
Um, it's tough to be a supervisor of 30 screaming kids. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much respect for them. So in what ways are some of these organizations uh, making a difference in terms of education? Are they, are they like after-school tutoring programs? Are they supplying resources to teachers? Like what are, their, what are some of the ways you've seen them tackle this problem? Yeah, it is the after-school uh, tutoring. Okay. And, you know, I, I used to personally think there's a silver bullet, right? If you can't learn how to read, maybe there's a silver bullet curriculum out there that, yeah, just do this. Do this for a couple of weeks. You'll learn how to read and you'll be great. You'll be back on pace and everything will be fine. And, you know, I think what the the real silver bullet is someone caring that they're learning how to read. Hmm. The more time that's invested into an individual, especially on a one-in-one or as close to that as possible compared to a 30-on-one mm-hmm. type of environment, that's where the fruit really happens. And the kids feel like they matter now. And them learning how to read is really important because it's important to this person who's willing to invest in me, the hmm. time, and understand what's going on in my life. Hmm. So the organization that really stands out to me there is Avenue 941. Um, they do incredible, incredible, incredible work. And the woman who runs that, Brenda, she has been in the school system. She's been a teacher. She's seen firsthand, right, how much how much challenges these teachers are facing as well as the kids. Was that the group that was at uh, Global Leadership Summit this past year? And so they get tutoring, if I remember right, they get after-school tutoring programs uh, to be hosted in churches exactly. and have like church members volunteer to be tutors, which is crazy concept, right? <laughs> like the church in your neighborhood should be a place where, you know, it's making a difference Monday through Saturday, not just Sundays, right? That's a fantastic. We'll put a link to Avenue 941. When I heard their story, it was just kind of like a aha, like no brainer. Like, well, of course that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, Anything else that you see, if you say, uh, I said, Thomas, um, given this community, um, Manatee, Sarasota, Manatee County, Sarasota County area, um, 10 years from now, where could a business, where could you see the business community making a difference in addition to the uh, educational challenges that are facing kids and, and supporting that next generation? Anything else come to mind? Affordable housing. Yeah. Yeah. I everyone knows it. It's such a big issue, especially as a business owner, right? Um, you might not think it's close to home until you learn that one of your employees had to move to Northport and now drive an hour commute because they can't afford to live in Sarasota anymore. So how does a community foundation play a part in that issue? So for nonprofits trying to approach that issue. Um, we can come alongside them, educate their donors, how they can maximize their giving. Um, in terms of one thing we had done is we had a roundtable put together of people who have interest and and are involved in affordable housing projects. And there was some really neat conversation that arose out of that, which actually led to a book study that Steve and I are going through right now, Ecclesia. Mm. Very good. Well, if somebody wanted more information on the Manatee Community Foundation, Journey of Generosity, we'll put these links in there. But 
in the meantime, how can they get in touch with you? What's the best way to engage with the Community Foundation or Thomas? Sure. If you go to manasota.org, that's our website. How did you guys get that domain name? That's I, when I typed that in, uh, getting ready for the podcast, I was like, it's, it reminds me of the uh, tax collector for Manatee County has the domain taxcollector.com, right? And he was, a, he was an IT guy, you know, before he became the tax collector. And he just, he, you know, back in the mid nineties, he's like, eh, we should probably get this, right? And so he got it. And now tax collectors all over the country are like, how did you do that? But how did you guys get Minnesota.org? It seems like it would have been taken a long time ago. I went to GoDaddy.com and, and it was there. I was shocked. I was like, I need to get this immediately. <laughs> All right, Minnesota.org. Uh, Thomas, thanks so much for uh, being generous with your time today. I appreciate it. And um, you stand, uh, you stand on the shoulders of giants. You know the group that you you rattled off some names, uh, some very esteemed individuals that I look up to a great deal, and I'm really glad that you're involved with them. I think that they they're benefiting tremendously from you being able to put hands and feet to something that they were wanting to to pursue. So thank you for what you're doing for the community. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's an extreme uh, opportunity. I'm I'm humbled every day and. Just so grateful for the opportunity to serve. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me, Joey and, and Steve. Much Absolutely. Appreciated. Awesome. Great having you. All right. We'll see you next week.